0: Hey everyone, welcome to Source, the Rethink Mining Podcast. We're going to explore mining, its innovation, and transformation in the industry that's going to drive our world forward. I'm Carl, I'm your host and the executive director and CEO of Rethink Mining. What we're going to do with this podcast is meet some really interesting people, talk about the industry, talk about innovations, talk about new technology, and explore what's actually possible and what we can do collectively to create the minerals and metals that are necessary to drive our world forward. I hope you join us. Yeah, so uh, on a podcast today, we're really fortunate to have uh, Robbie Stancil joining us. And if you don't know Robbie, you should. So we're going to have a great conversation. He's been involved in mining, other industries, startups, VCs, et cetera. He's got a really, really interesting, cool background and coming to us from Germany via Joburg or something like that. So, Robbie, welcome today. (laughs) Well, thanks. uh, Thanks, Carl. So... Um, you know, I've, I've known Robbie for about 10 years and we're always talking about the mining industry, the state of the industry, what we need to do different, how to get there. So I'm kind of curious, Robbie, if you can share with us um, your thoughts on where the mining industry is today and where we need to go. And then we can dive into other pieces of that.
1: Well, I, I could take the negative or the positive view. <laughs> the, the negative view, let's start with that one, Is it's not getting easier. The ore bodies are getting deeper. The grades are getting lower. Everyone wants to, you know, avoid tailings, water, energy uh, use, and so on. But fact of the matter is, if you have lower grades, you will have for the same pound of metal, you're going to have more tailings. And therefore, business as usual won't work. With business as usual, you will have, what, uh, a 3%, 10% uh, change and not a 3x or 10x change and that is what's necessary. So that's the bad part. Uh, uh, the good part is the craziness about uh, energy transition which moved mining basically front and center for everybody. Until now nobody cared about mining. Uh, now all of a sudden everybody is wondering where the lithium and copper and nickel and cobalt and so on is coming from and uh, and therefore I guess for the first time, mining is in the driver's seat. So we get to decide who we give the metals to and who we don't give them to when it comes, for example, to ESG targets and things like that.
0: But is that also potentially a problem? Because if you take a look at what I'm looking at the two, two sides of the coin, the negative part that it's uh, um, things aren't moving fast enough, we've got to change the business, etc., uh, at the same time, we've got to accelerate and create more materials. So is there a risk that somebody outside is going to come in and disrupt the mining and say, we can't wait anymore. We're going, to, we're going to buy the mine and operate it or whatever that looks like. Is there a risk of doing that? Or do you think somebody's maybe even thinking about that?
1: Well, depends on who you are in the uh, mining house. Um, if you say others are buying you out, if, if the, say, automotive OEMs go upstream, um, that's maybe good for... Uh, industry, not necessarily good for the individual miner, let's put it yeah. that way. So there is, a, there is certainly uh, that dynamic going on. At the same time, there is the issue that, hmm, how should I say, everything is happening under the premise of environmental concerns and decarbonization. We're building a complete new industry. Well, building a new industry never was very environmentally friendly, and that's what we're doing exactly right now. Because we're not, uh, we're in mining. We're still keeping, you know, the steel uh, industry alive, the, uh, all the the base metals and so on. And in addition to that, we're mining all these other uh, metals. Therefore, something's really gotta give in order for that to really. Be environmentally friendly because right now, uh, electric vehicle French study, uh, French government study basically says the EV today has four times the environmental impact of a, a regular diesel car, and that is all those additional new metals which are not mined in any different way from how we used to do it. So that has to change.
0: So, so, and and back to the original question about where we need to be, and that has to change. So the the industry itself, how mining operates and does things, has to change, right? That's what, basically what you're saying. We, we can't lean on 5% efficiencies anymore. What, 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 would that, what, what do we need to do? Well, the, the great
1: philosopher Karl Weatherall <laughs> always says innovation happens at the speed of trust, not at the speed of technology. So the stuff is there, and the way a mining house makes decisions, it's all a commercial uh, question. It's not that the feasibility of a lot of new technologies isn't there. It's the viability. Right. And in a way, that is unfair to uh, to say that these new technologies are more expensive because if we actually put that much money and effort into that and subsidies and all that as we do into incumbent technologies, they would very quickly get there, and then they would have the economy of scale that also makes it commercially interesting. Like a... Um, say uh, hydrogen, for example, is viable in Australia uh, and where it says, oh, uh, it's two to four uh, dollars a kilo. If it's not one dollar, it's not worth it. Well, sorry, the energy equivalent in the Pilbara is six dollars. Uh, and that's what you're competing it with. So it is already viable. That's six dollars uh, $6 for the diesel. Yeah. And uh, that that's a hatch study that I recently heard about. And... Uh, So if you look at those kinds of things, um, it's in people's minds why you don't do that. And that comes down to risk averse, being risk averse and uh, not wanting to change because I don't know what the risk level will be. And of course, we know mining is about as risk uh, laden as, as they come. I mean, I'm an aerospace engineer. Aerospace <laughs> is easy. It's two formulas it's subsonic, supersonic, and the rest is math. In mining, you don't know every new meter you mine. I don't know what's coming. Well, in, in theory, I know. In reality, there's all these things that are thrown my way, which makes it fun as well, but that's why mining has to be
0: risk-averse to be surviving. Yeah. But you introduced uh, the whole idea of technology, Uh, About uh, viability versus feasibility. Um, And back to circling back a little bit about uh, the industry change. So if you take a look at uh, for example, let's take a look at a, a mining business, right? You do exploration and you do it by drill core, you get drill a million kilometers or whatever <laughs> of drill core, and then you look at it, there's core scanning technologies. Then you go, assume you're going underground, you do drill and blast, using a jumbo that now instead of one drill has eight, and, and then you hoist everything up to the surface after you crush it, and then you process everything, even though 99% of it's waste, that model, in, in my opinion, that model is broken, like it shouldn't work. And and there are probably technologies, that are out, well, I, I know there are technologies out there that actually mm-hmm. change, for example, the business of mining and the flow sheet of mining. I'm kind of curious your thoughts on this idea of, uh, for lack of a better term, rethinking how we actually mine.
1: Well, there's um, a lot of technologies that do exist, whether it's in other industries or in research or so, that mining really hasn't explored yet. There is, you know, e- everything that's moving ions today in yeah. processing is super interesting. There's so much going on. I always jokingly say I, uh, I love bacteria because they rarely take vacation and they are not unionized. Um, and so, therefore, have them do the work. And they yeah. basically, you feed them actually your waste product and a bit of sunshine, maybe, and, uh, and they will do the work for you and they will create either tailings without the chemicals that we're grappling with or uh, no tailings at all. If I look, for example, at all the various plasma breaking technologies where you can, through sorting, uh, separate the metal from the rest and all of a sudden there is no flotation uh, circuits and, and things like that. So the potential is there, the question is who's gonna jump in the deep end because mining of course wants to be
0: fast followers for the yeah. most part well it's interesting you said the bio side of things because um, a number of years ago there was a group we were working with you know like it, it, you know there's a, there's bacteria surrounding every every mm-hmm. mineral underground right it's there right the populations are already there and um, Uh, You mentioned flotation as well. So the couple of questions, discussions we had early on, there's actually a group in Liège doing some of this work. There's another group in Quebec doing some of this work is um, what if you engineer bacteria to do the flotation instead? So you have green flotation. You can't engineer sulfuric acid. You're stuck. You can change the temperature and that's about it. That's about all you can do or you can change the strength. That's about it. bacteria you can engineer to basically do the flotation and you can engineer switches in them so that you have kill switches or they do other things. And by the same token, with the bacteria that are underground, for example, the, the question I had and the link back to other industries, and this is a really cool um, work done at the University of Liège, could you use bacteria for a type of ore sorting? Could you you know, attach like they do in the medical space, like fluorescence technology to the bacteria so you're actually doing ore sorting with bacteria that are naturally occurring, using technology from other industries at the mineral side. So all these sort of things exist. It comes out of other industries. Yeah, we're kind of stuck. Yeah, yeah. People say, that's really cool. I got to go back to my day job. So <laughs> how, how do we unlock this? Like I agree, there's, there's a lot of technology already out there. I was watching a YouTube video about ionic winds, you know, <laughs> that were done with, <laughs> mm-hmm, with, with NASA years ago. It's like, this is really cool stuff. That stuff exists everywhere. How do we unlock that? How do we unlock the creativity and get miners and mining companies to actually do something? Or is it up to other groups to do that? Well,
1: uh, oh, so many rabbit holes I could go into <laughs> on, on why synthetic bacteria is difficult as opposed to naturally occurring yeah. because then you can actually use them not in a lab environment, which would be a lot more controlled and therefore actually the chance for the process window to be uh, big enough to be successful is higher, but of course it's more costly. If I want to apply a bacteria, say, for tailing stem stabilization or for carbon capture, a whole different rabbit hole uh, for... um, uh, for palletization, yeah. uh, th- those kinds of things. I mean, companies like Bindex exist and, uh, and uh, many others. And all that does, uh, does uh, exist today. Um, the, the question is whether uh, this is applicable, meaning feasibility, check on yeah. that. Viability is the question. So is it, uh, is it applicable in our um, existing processes, say, a dust control, do I do exactly the same watering except afterwards I don't, need, I don't need to do it every few hours but, like, just once a month and things like that? Um, does it uh, have enough of a window of success? Th- those kinds of topics are, yeah. um, are I guess, the, uh, the important part then in the implementation. And once you have those boxes ticked, then only uh, you get to, a, say, TRL 8-9 where you can hand that over to operations and, uh, and then operational budget is, of course, much bigger yeah. uh, to, uh, to work with than usually the innovation and technology budgets that are reasonably quite limited and are very close to
0: home, meaning close
1: to you know, continuous improvement type applications.
0: So I, I wanted to hit something, two things actually you just said, continuous improvement, <laughs> and and you also mentioned existing processes. And is that still part of the channel? Like you've been doing design thinking, co-founder, or, or one of the people that helped create design thinking many years ago. Um, looking at design thinking to change the paradigm of that's our existing process, we've got to rethink the process and do something different. You know, continuous improvement, yeah, we have to do it, but we've got to do this, we've got to do stuff differently. So I'm, are is the industry moving that way? Do you think we need to move faster? Like, I'm just kind of curious about what your thoughts well, are on that. Um, hmm. Like where, if we want to get to the point you talked about before, what do we got to do? It's not going to happen the way we're going right now.
1: That's not a technology topic, but a cultural topic. I mean, yes. in, in my days at IDEO and Stanford, uh, to be a co-inventor of design thinking is nonsense because as far as I'm concerned, design thinking is common sense yeah. and you cannot invent it. You have it or you don't. Yeah. And some some of this is pretty obvious. Actually, design thinking historically in the 50s came out of the same department at uh, Stanford where Maslow worked, meaning motivation yeah. m- motivational pyramids. So that is the question. You need to push from the back and pull uh, from the front. Uh, in order to make people realize that the current is getting uncomfortable so I have a motivation to move away from that and the future isn't daunting, scary and expensive but it's actually a dangling carrot that that shows me that this actually could work well and then you dive into the cultural aspects of it, you change a company one person at a time, you need to start off on the top from the Exco and work your way down and really look at what motivates which person in that organization and not necessarily only in their remit and their corporate role, but them as an individual, what drives them, Where? what ego problems have they had, <laughs> what went wrong in their early childhood, right? Egos don't exist. On, <laughs> on that level, you need to look at what would not scare people to do that step. Yeah. And where they would see that they for themselves don't have a risk if they do this transformation. So cultural transformation is one person at a time and then at some point you get to a well pivot point if enough people have changed that then it's self-running. But that's many years of pushing, pushing the transformation uphills. hills. Yeah. And I, at, at IDEO, I uh, was one of the founders of the transformation practice that does exactly yeah. that. So technology roadmaps are easy and to come up yeah. with what the future should look like. And then 90% is the hard work of convincing people that they actually have a really nice spot in that future that they should be happy with which makes them intrinsically internally self-motivated to go along. Yeah. One, one famous quote is uh, um, you, you, uh, you can't force people to be motivated and, uh, and that's exactly what sometimes is happening today. Yeah. That you say, okay, from tomorrow you're all going to be agile and whatever, whatever <laughs> nonsense, that doesn't work. If yeah. people don't believe it themselves, And that's, again, deep inside. Do I feel warm and fuzzy about doing this for whatever reasons? Only once I do that, then I'm willing to actually be self-motivated and have the energy to pull along as uh, as opposed to be uh,
0: pulled by somebody else. It's funny you said that. It's all about cultural shift. And one of my favorite leadership books I read was by Marshall Goldsmith on what got you here won't get you there. And it's all about the 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 built-in motivations, the built-in uh, the egos, and and what how are you going to break those down and get people to actually understand and, and move up, but on that cultural side of things, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, because um, you know I've 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 been very very clear that what CEMIC is doing, what Rethink Mining Ventures is doing, has nothing to do with technology. It's about exactly what you talked about, right? So. Um, you've been involved in CMIC, You've been involved in Rethink Mining Ventures for a while. You, you you're on the board. You've helped us create roadmaps, mm-hmm. and um, it's funny, uh, anecdotally, one of the projects took seven years from creation of a roadmap to a demonstration. Pro- seven years to get people to buy into. It. I'm thinking this is nuts. I remember in, in another another lifetime, I was I was uh, setting up a helping set up a software company, and with a phone call to IBM had an investment of 12 million in five days. Five days, not seven years. So I'm kind of curious your thoughts on on, uh, CEMIC, the Rethink Mining Ventures, the evolution of where we were, where we're going, and the role or your thoughts on the role we play, the future role we play on this transformation of the industry.
1: Well, CMIC is about the ecosystem, so the topics that people or companies couldn't do themselves, by themselves. And so it, it started with finding common ground, right? So you, you were in that breakfast meeting where we had the, yeah. the plan that we bring together the CEOs, all very big egos for good reasons and all have different opinions for good reasons. And now what is the lowest common denominator that they all can agree on? and uh, uh, and how, therefore, can we make this group say we want to come together to do something together. And uh, uh, we had like two hours to do that and the result was, okay, we all feel like we're paying a lot of taxes and don't get much for it. <laughs> and uh, so therefore, uh, if I remember correctly, it was like we were probably the biggest uh, tax contributor to Canada and in the uh, industries that get subsidies, we're number 17. Yeah. I didn't even know there were 17 industries that are right. tracked separately. And uh, and with that agreement, all right, we need to have a stronger voice with the government and how, how we're viewed and that we are very well worth being funded. That was the starting point. Then we figured out, again, design thinking, what is the customer needs? And the customer for mining is always operations. So what's the operational needs in mining, in exploration, in processing, and, and so on. And the roadmaps were built, which I was uh, a lot of fun building yeah. those. And then that split up into basically what now 11 sub-consortia, if you will, as, as it went along. Uh, very soon, you figured out all the thinking part, and then it's the doing part. And so then CMIC changed its character basically to be an organization of implementers. And uh, there, again, the knowledge share was very valuable so that everybody knows what, uh, uh, what pitfalls they shouldn't learn the hard way because others already had that experience before. And now we're at a point where that is sorted out. Now we know how the implementation needs to happen, but now we are at a point where... We've identified a clear gap in the industry, and that is if I'm, like, for seed funding, A, and so on, there is enough money, whether it's uh, from private or government uh, grants or so, in the mining industry, uh, certainly in, in Canada. But then the mining houses only really want to take that on because that's where they have the big budget in operations. And that's the Uh, the TRL 7, 8, 9, well, not even 7, 8 and 9 type projects. And before it's not at that maturity level, they would say, um, sorry, not for us. Go to our R&D and innovation teams, which have much, much smaller budgets. And so basically we are left with the gap that there's somewhere between series A, B and C. There is... Uh, it's beyond venture capital because it's double-digit millions uh, uh, in in terms of round funding, and uh, and it's not part of operations yet. Which could invest a hundred million, but then they need all <laughs> all boxes ticked, yep. and then it's an operational investment on a feasibility level, and. How do we fill that gap that's that's missing? As a matter of fact, it's missing worldwide in the industry. All corporate VCs, um, you know, the usual suspects, yeah. don't cover that scale. And therefore, a group that again comes together to share the cost, which was one of the initial thoughts, but also yeah. to share the cost of investment for technologies which we know... The world wants because several CMIC members raised their hand and said, Yep, I'd love that. Can we please have that? And once we have those technologies identified, then to fill that gap in funding is the natural extension, if you will, yep. of a of a CMIC. Uh, and if I if I then close the loop, we should not forget that, however, it's an iterative process. Meaning, once we then have implemented or funded and implemented all of these. It's not over. Then yeah. we can start again with, all right, needs have changed, especially with the energy transition, ESG goals, constraints, costs rising. What's the next round of innovations that we want to look at? And at some point, it's the it's not the cycles, but it's all in parallel, and that's kind of where we are at, at uh, CIMIC and Rethink Mining, uh, to figure out what the next things are on the horizon, what needs... Uh, needs implementation support, what needs customer feedback, and then what needs investment. And then we can enter on any of these steps to, uh, into, into yeah. the funnel.
0: Yeah. And uh, I I'd, um, another thought here too, which I'm hearing a lot, and I've analyzed this a little bit. For example, in Canada, right? In Canada, we are a federated, organiza- federated uh, country, and investments are typically mm-hmm. done. Let's set up everything regionally you know let's in, let's do things in Sudbury or in Rwanda or in bc or whatever so mm-hmm. but if you extend that globally we see the same thing this regionalization right let's let's do things in brazil let's do things in peru let's do things in australia and we'll connect all the regions independently because we're all replicating what we're doing anyway i'm kind of curious about your thoughts on this idea of regionalization it's it's not a bad thing but we still need to break that down i believe i'm curious what your your thoughts are on this
1: well, then we would have to open the can of worms, how politics works and how the feedback loop there works, yeah. right? Politicians, in let's assume democracies, want to be re-elected. Re-election means votes, and the vast majority of the public votes by their wallet, yeah. meaning which subsidies, which taxes, and, and so on are good for me or not. Everything else is icing on the cake. It really yeah. comes down to... Uh, yeah how do I financially make that decision? I mean, in a dictatorship, uh, it works differently, and in less sophisticated so-called democracies, it's also wallet, uh, except yep. today politicians don't give me, how should I say, uh, immediately uh, money, as as in some so-called democracies, literally the politicians go around and hand out uh, uh, bills. We do that a bit less overtly. We call uh, There's lobbying, and there is, of course, uh, promises of tax deductions and things like that how it's done today but that's the mechanisms yes and so therefore um, there is there is a big uh, big difference between representing your own national interests and doing good for the global industry and uh, uh, I could go into uh, the artwork of my wife that (laughs) goes exactly into that it's Say, the United Nations, everybody pretends to be united. Reality is everybody wants to make sure their nation gets the biggest yeah. piece of the pie. So the united part isn't relevant. Yeah. And so in mining, similarly, where are the organizations that look across uh, and uh, and don't care about this uh, because they don't, say, only get... Canadian funding, but also Australian, South African, EU, yeah. so the usual suspects. And, uh, and how do we tackle that so that we, we are trusted to make sure that, all right, the new jobs are distributed evenly, because that's ultimately what this comes down to.
0: Well, and, and I, I guess my, my question was prefaced on the idea that mining is a global industry. They should be looking globally at solutions. And and yes, they will do things in their own backyard and you know, understand the government side, they will do things in their own backyard mm-hmm. in the region. They have to, good citizens, right? But if they're, most of them have operations around the globe and yet a lot of them are still focused on their own backyard for tech development and deployment and everything else. Uh, I was talking to the CEO of a software company many years ago who said, I don't care where it comes from. We're gonna invest in whatever's relevant for my company. So i guess my 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 question related to the regionalization was and this circles back a little bit now that cmic and r m b are now operating in four countries four continents is there is there still there's a role for an organization that breaks down those regional barriers to get that cross pollination so we're not replication's good but like yes, you get yes. you get further <laughs> ahead if you're not so i'm curious
1: uh well there's the certain things are given. The, the CEO and exco need to maximize shareholder return, yep. Yep. and that has a lot to do with the taxes in the place where you're based, okay. right? So, therefore, that's that's a given. Yep. But other than that, every asset is different. Yep. Every infrastructure surrounding the asset is different. To run a mine in Africa and to mine run a mine in Canada is fundamentally different because, for example, labor costs in Africa don't push that hard for uh, uh, automation and certainly not for autonomy yeah. because if the truck didn't have somebody on it, it would be gone next day, yeah. which is exaggerating, of course, but uh, but you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas in Canada, uh, I, would, uh, I would on the flip side say that you do want the automation because, of course, uh, labor costs... And everything that goes around labor costs is extremely expensive. And so, therefore, uh, that alone already should force me to, to work with people that are, say, experts in that region or so. Because, granted, global miners today are global. Yeah. It's not like very few companies only have uh, uh, mines in one jurisdiction.
0: Yeah, and that, that was the question I had, right? Like, it, 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 they are global companies, therefore doing some of this glo- on a global basis versus just our backyard makes sense.
1: And and quite frankly, if you look at the engineers, the technology and innovation teams around the world, they all love to work together. Yeah, exactly. on a different level, on the uh, on the market level in their organizations, they might be fierce competitors. Yeah, but if you have them together in a room, running a workshop with them. There's no way to tell that they are not from the same organization pulling in the same direction.
0: It, it's the same as using design thinking to, break, to get people to start talking about what our common goals are, how we can do that even though they're fierce business competitors. And as you said uh, in, during one part of the conversation was the room full of CEOs, mm-hmm. where we actually, what, what's the lowest hanging fruit that we have in <laughs> common, right? So it, it all ties together. So, um, again, Robbie, uh, thanks again. It's been great working with you for the last 10 years. <laughs> looking forward to <laughs> another 10 or 20 or more as we're all trying to uh, trying to uh, dominate the world of mining innovation. It's a lot of fun. And um, uh, looking forward to seeing some of this uh, podcast material out there and getting some reactions. So, thanks again, Robbie. Well, thank you, Carl. Likewise. Thank you for tuning in to Source. We hope you'll learn some valuable insights and really cool information with the mining industry and especially how it impacts our lives every single day. If you want to stay tuned to what we're up to and the really cool innovations that are going on every single day? Connect with us on our social media channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, or at our website, rethinkmining.org. Until next time, catch you later.